Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I've, you know, contemplated stop hunting with myself as well because I don't have the best luck at all on any of this stuff. Welcome back to another episode of Gundog It Yourself. Austin, what's happening? Man, I am fired up. For what? I'm learning about some obedience today, man. You're going to teach us. It's about time. I know. I'm trying to get these dogs under control. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go over some basic obedience with these pups and, and... Try and figure out at least the method, the methods that you use, and I'll hit on some things that I do as well. I think everybody just got super excited. Yeah. I know, basic obedience. It's edge of the seat. It's what everybody got these dogs for. It's what, you know, it, it's just exciting stuff here. Yeah, man, we live for the obedience. That's what we bought these dogs for, but... Why don't you tell us what you've been doing, man? Uh, how's everything been going? What kind of training have you been doing? And, and how are the how are the girls doing? Uh, you know, Lucy's officially signed up for the utility test end of September. Getting going on the duck search, hey, training let, that. I'm definitely gonna make I'm gonna make you tell that story before the before the night's over. What the me swimming? Yeah, the duck search story. You gotta do what you gotta do, man. So keep going. We'll we'll run back on that. All right. Well, yeah, just other than that, you know, getting Lucy ready for the test, Rachel conditioning, hunt season is, I mean, we're talking weeks away now for depending on what you're hunting and where you're located. And we have Wisconsin coming up soon. So Rachel, she's just conditioning and Lucy's getting ready for that test. And right after the test, we're headed to Wisconsin. Finally. Yeah. What about you? Well, we've got, we, we had the duck blind draw. We yeah. talked about that last episode. We we lucked out and we got a blind. We weren't necessarily the uh, <laughs> earliest to pick the blind, but here's what we're banking on. We're banking on the other 75 people that picked blinds before us 
that they just didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, they were wrong. Yeah, so out of the out of the, I think they had eighty eight this year. Yeah, I think we were literally like in the fifties. Well, the first <laughs> the first round in Tennessee, there's two rounds of draws, and the first round you get picked, and then you're sitting there waiting for the second round, which is when you actually get to pick the blind. And so the first round, we were picked pretty early. I yeah. mean, 20, 20 to 25, somewhere in that Paul Park. And, and ballpark. here's the crazy thing, guys. Nick is probably the most unlucky person that I know. Literally, I have contemplated whether I should associate with Nick during hunting season just because we've had some bad luck. And I can't blame Austin because, you know, I've you know contemplated stop hunting with myself as well. Because I don't have the best luck at all on but any of this stuff. Guess whose name out of our hunting party got drawn? I think it's it, a sign it was, of things to come. Hey, man, it was Nick. So, look, hopefully that is a good sign. But he, he, it did kind of come back in the second <laughs> round. Because although we got excited, we were like, oh, heck, yeah, we made the draw. Yeah. We got picked a little later on. We still yeah. got a decent blind. We did. And, you know? hey, if you follow us on Instagram, you would have saw it on my Instagram story. Yeah. Just saying. Oh, shout out. Yep, you would have known. You would have been included in this exciting development way before this podcast. So if, if you feel like you missed out, follow us, Instagram. That's right. So <clears throat> I guess really – you know, the blind's been, uh, that's been preoccupying us. We went out there and checked it out. We're planning on doing a little bit of repairs. It's actually in pretty good shape, so we don't have to do too much. Yeah, it said that it needed a new roof, and we went out there and looked at it, and it had it a need a new roof. Had a new roof. <laughs> yeah, it had a new roof. So well, uh, par- portions of it were new. Yeah. I think it was just like, we're just going to print out the same list as last year. And, and Yeah, that, and I mean, there were parts of it that we, somebody tried to do an improvement on concealment or camouflage, and and uh, that was falling down. I think, you know, either A, they printed off the list from last year, or B, they looked in there and saw one piece of wood right. hanging down. But either way, we're hoping that people didn't pick that blind because of the new roof requirement, and, you know, we just lucked out and got a decent blind at a later later calling so hopefully we'll, we'll see what it brings us it, but it looks like it's in a decent spot too i've never hunted that part of the uh, river there so we'll see what happens we'll find out but that's that's you know it's been taking up my time um of course we've been taking the dogs out on the weekends and and keeping the older dogs refreshed and and ready to go for hunting season yeah so i know you're trying to really kind of come up with a game plan for for scout you're so Scout barely missed the uh, the sign up for the test in September, but I think it it sounds like it's kind of working in your favor because of what your priorities and goals are with Scout. You want to talk on that? And yeah, we can hit on that in a second. I'm my priority right now is so we we took the utility test last fall. We passed it. Uh, we got a prize three in it, and I've been contemplating whether to retest him or not and the the areas uh duck search was the area that uh really gave us the the biggest hiccup last year but really i mean i can't you know we had a whole duck season last year and he did great and um his search has developed really well and uh i I just for some reason this summer wasn't as fired up about training and didn't think that for some reason i just was 
I, I'm just trying to figure out. It's them, I was just trying to figure out, hey, do I really need to do the utility test again? I'm fine with how we are as a hunting uh, pair, you know, as, and, and he's doing fine. So I think I uh, that answered it for me, not making the test. Yeah, and, and you know, Scout, kind of what we talked about the past couple episodes is depending on what type of hunting dog you want and the lines that you pick, Scout is a field trial line. And it's a testament that you did prize in utility in NAVDA with him. But his strengths don't really lie in NAVDA. Not that he can't do it, because obviously he can. But to line him up for success, you know, you can play to his strengths. And it, it sounds like you're kind of coming coming to where you want to start playing to, to what he's bred to do. And that's, you know, wide-ranging and quick-running and, you know, you work on honoring, and I, I think you have a really good chance at competing at a high level on the field trial circuit. Yeah, that's what we're going to look into next. Um, we're going to try that and and just see where it goes. But I got to get him honoring, uh, and he's for he just doesn't have a great natural honor. Do you want to describe to people that may not know what honoring or backing is? I mean, I yeah. know uh, a lot of people may know, but there's some people here listening that maybe just getting their new puppy. They don't know what, what we're talking about on honoring. Right. So um, if, if you're in the retrieving world, you have other dogs that will retrieve um, uh, and uh, they will, excuse me, honor a, another dog retrieving in the pointing dog world, the versatile dog world, um, you have that too, but also during a field search, if a pointing dog, uh, say if you're running a brace, you have two dogs that are out in a field. If one of those dogs goes on point, you have the other dog that is supposed to acknowledge that point and then essentially point that dog who is pointing the bird. Yes. And that is called a back or an honor. Yes. And uh, basically, it's just to give that first dog a respect that, hey, you know, he got the bird. We're not going to screw up the scenario here. We're going to hang out and and wait for the sequence to unfold. Yeah, it, just what you just said. The practicality of this is if a dog is on point on game or on birds, the other dog doesn't rush in and try and, quote, unquote, steal that point and it ends up busting that covey or that bird and takes that bird out prematurely before the hunter can get ready for the shot. It's, you know, when a dog goes on point, it's to freeze so that it doesn't scare the bird. And so that applies to all dogs in the field. And it's, it, honestly, it's one of the coolest things about upland dogs. I, you know, not a lot of people really understand what it's about, but... The fact that other dogs not only point birds, but they'll honor and point another dog's point. And you can theoretically have a daisy chain of dogs honoring each other, you know, around a bend that they don't even see the dog that's actually pointing the game. And it's just fascinating when that actually comes together. And when you have that, that really is when you know that you have you know, a good quality hunting dog because yeah. it, it's impressive to see. That's when you make that top level that you know for a fact you have that top level dog. You know, I've only experienced it one time where we've had, when we were in Oklahoma, we had, and I think you were off with Lucy, 
in a different area, but um, the last covey that we pointed on the last day that we were there, there were four dogs that were locked up. And <clears throat> what happened is, uh, the and, and when we had seven dogs on the ground that day, guys, <laughs> we were going all in. We don't necessarily yeah. like, recommend that, but it was the last day. We were, were going to find some quail. Yeah, so we went all in. So um, one of the guys that we were there with, his dog hits a point. About that time, I'm walking in the field right behind these dogs. I see Scout come in. I wrote him into an honor. The dog behind him honored him, and then the dog behind that dog honored that dog. So we had four dogs lined up, and I got a cool picture of it. Uh, yeah. I think it's actually on my Instagram. Uh, I only got three of the dogs in the picture, though, because of how wide, you know, how – that, that's what Nick was talking about, how the range of these dogs, I mean, it can extend back pretty far where that back dog yeah. is located. Yeah. So uh, it's really cool. But that is the, that's the missing piece for us right now. We're going to definitely work on the honoring and get him doing that consistently. At least that's the goal. And um, we may try out some field trials. I think yeah. that's the next step. I, th- I think that he would excel at field trials. Yeah. So uh, that's definitely something we're thinking about. But we're still staying fresh with the NAVDA stuff and, and definitely doing the, the water work still and all that. I mean, we love it. So uh, water just still work. doing it. Water work. Water work. It's yeah. Oh, dog- yeah. It's great for dogs and You humans. need to tell your story, man. Everybody, Nick went swimming last week. I did. Guys, if you're going to train the dogs, sometimes you just have to – you got to do what you got to do. And – Lucy, I thought originally she was going to be a natural at duck search. And for those of you that don't know what a nap duck search is, you go out there and it's on a big, big pond and there's a duck somewhere out there and you send the dog. And once you send the dog, there is no commands. There's no verbals. There's no hand signals. There's no nothing. And the dog is to independently expand its range and independently search for that duck until it's either called back or it finds the duck. And Lucy got to the point to where, you know, we hit that hiccup. You know, when you train on certain aspects, there comes a point to where a dog sometimes it's just not connecting. And she was sending out when I sent her, but she would not go in the direction that I wanted her to go to or she would come back too soon. So she wasn't expanding her search. And after 20 minutes of just sending and sending and sending, and she, she kept going out, which was good, but she kept doing the same exact area over and over again, and then she would give up and come back to me. Finally, I had to show her, and uh, that required me to go swimming. And I swam clear across that pond, my beautiful, lovely wife Pam did a great job in force fetching me, and you snatched that duck right up. Man, I swam straight across. There was no, I didn't go offline. I swam straight across that pond, and we got in that scent cone. And I didn't didn't start with Lucy on the bank. She was still out there searching, but when I saw she was coming back because she just kept running the same route, I swam straight out in the area that in the direction that I wanted to send her and I swam straight out and with no verbal correction or anything, she followed me and naturally ended up in the scent cone with that duck and she found the duck 
and retrieved it and carried it all the way back to the starting point. I walked all the way back around the pond to where I originally sent her, and it seems to like it seems it it connected with her because since that time, I'm not going to say that that one instance is what changed her around, but it seems like her duck search took the next step that it needed to take. Yeah. And that's kind of similar. You know, we hear, hear stories quite a bit where um, somebody that's doing force to a pile in water, you know, with the dog, I'll have to do an ear pinch and swim them to the pile yeah. at a certain time. You know, you didn't go to that extent, but you got yeah. in there and showed her, hey, this is what the task yes. is. This is what is the standard. This is how it has to be accomplished. Yes. So, And it seems like she, she connected the dots. She associated, oh, there is a duck out here. He knows where it's at. And since then, every duck search I've sent, it seems like she's she's done better. She knows, okay, if it's not over here, I'm not going to keep searching in the same exact area, the same exact route. He says there's game out here. There's game out here, and I'm going to find it. And it seems like the, the, uh, the dots were connected on that. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I guess let's let's go into the obedience now. I think that it's time. What Guys, do you think? did you take your energy drink? It's going to be wild. Yeah. It, basic obedience, like we said earlier. This is what everybody gets their dogs for. Not to hunt. Not not, not to chase birds or go go camping or go on road trips, but to, you know, learn learn recall and learn sit and learn 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 heal it's it's what everybody loves that's what what they get them for right that's right man so let's start not not to belittle this guys in in all seriousness this is the foundation of what your dog is to become yeah i'm glad you mentioned that guys obedience it is it is the as nick said the foundation but but the the main thing here is is you basically instill that work ethic and standard early on with a dog you know and you learn the dog you learn the dog's personality and it's going to apply from here on out yes and just to be upfront with everybody we know we, we aren't experts we we've said that before but i i want to i want to expand on that i am not a professional dog trainer austin is not a professional dog trainer all we're talking about is methods that we do that has worked for us. We're not we're not kings of the universe. We're not saying that this is the only way to train your dogs. All we can talk about is what we know and what we have experience with and it's worked out for us. And so we're just going to go over how we do it. If you don't like how we do it, I understand. There's a million different ways to do this. But we're just throwing this out there for anybody that, you know, hey, I don't have a clue. You know, anybody who's gotten their first dog didn't have a clue, and they may have figured it out by trial and error. They may have figured it out by books or YouTube videos or training videos or a trainer, whatever. We, I just want to be clear on that, that I am not saying that this is the only way to train your dog. This is just how we did it. Right. All right, so the the main theme here, and this is going to be consistent for really anything, any type of training beyond even basic obedience, is the the small sessions and and starting with the building blocks. So start us out there, and and what the 
the uh, method is, you know, that you use with that. So anytime you're training a dog, it should not be just what you're working on now. That's what you're concentrating on, yes. But it should be big picture. What is the end result of that dog that you're trying to get to? And when you picture the end result, then you're backtracking. You're you're breaking it out into easily digestible chunks, something that can be taught in a very quick and focused manner that the dog is going to associate and learn and be able to be able to understand. You know, it, a, a lot of this stuff. If somebody's having an issue with training dogs, it's not necessarily because of what you're trying to train the dog to do or that the dog is incapable of learning. It's that they're taking too sizable of a step, if you will, to train these dogs. They're not associating the the desired action with the command. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, that's, you know, the the bottom line is you have to make it understandable for the dog and you don't and it goes with really anything in life. You don't want to bite off more than you can chew. <laughs> you know, so yes. you start off uh, with something that's small and you work into what your end goal yeah. uh, is. So so while we're talking about this obedience, there's, there's probably a couple words you're going to get sick of hearing. Number one is consistency. Number two is basic because this is you know, the you know this is basic obedience so the first word in that is basic but there's nothing basic about it because it's very important on establishing a dog that you're going to grow to enjoy in the field dogs can hunt people have dogs that just stay in the kennel and don't have any obedience whatsoever and they'll hunt for them but what we're after is that dog that you truly enjoy hunting behind and that your buddies enjoy hunting with that's what we're after that lasting impression that lasting impression and so there's a few words that you know we're going to repeat and you're going to be like oh dear god if you say the word consistent one more time i'm going to turn this off i bet association comes up quite a bit yeah association is going to come up a few times but seriously i mean that's what this is it's it's consistent it's Everything about these dogs, first thing that you have to understand about dogs is they do not learn in the same manner that we do, okay? We learn by deductive reasoning. We can reason problems out. Logic. Logic. Or hopefully we do. You know, not everybody can, it seems like. But dogs learn by association. It's it's as simple as I do this, that's good, I do this, that's bad. I do like those three words, though. If we break those down, I mean, think about that. We said consistent, basic association. Yeah. That right there, I think we could write a book on that. CBA, man. That's right. CBA agreement. That's that's pretty good. So, um, yeah, I, I agree, man. I agree. Yeah. It's so we're going to try and get through this without being as redundant as possible, but you, you have to understand that w- talking about obedience, we're, we're going to repeat ourselves a little bit, but, and it's not to say that we're cocky. It's not to say that we know it all. It just, it is what it is. It's obedience. And 
what Austin was referring to earlier is this method that we use for obedience can be applied to absolutely everything that you want to teach and train your dog. And the trick is short sessions, okay? The more short sessions that you can do is better than one long session because these puppies that ideally you would be using at a younger age to teach this stuff, their attention span doesn't last long. So there's a there's a point in time that you hit diminishing returns on these puppies that it's just not worth your, your effort to try and get through. So if you're out there for 30 minutes, you you would honestly get better results out of three 10-minute sessions than you would one 30-minute ses- session, if that makes sense. And so that is the first trick, is keep the session just short and entertaining and keep the dog, you know, into what's actually going on. And then with that first session, you want to, I guess, figure out which which command or what what you're wanting to teach first, what part of obedience you're wanting to teach first, and then build off that. So let's hit on that. There's a sequence. Think of it as a house. You're going to lay the foundation, and then you're going to go up from there. One block builds to the next block, and that's what we're talking about, the end result. You, You don't just start out. I mean, you could, I guess, start out with just woe and then go back to recall and all that stuff, but th- there's no need for it. So what we were talking about last week was, you know, getting your dog home and use his routine and crate and and housebreaking and all that. That's to set the tone for what we're talking about today. And the way I look at it is there's three ways, three primary primarily important things that you need to look at as far as training these dogs. Number one, you train these dogs to go away from you. Number two, you train these dogs to come back to you. And number three, you train these dogs to stay where they're at. If you can grasp your head around that and all these obedience and anything that you're training with these dogs revolve around that, at the end of the day, you're going to end up with a good hunting dog. That's all you need, essentially, to be able to go out and hunt. Yes. Yeah. So when I start this, I start with arguably the most important thing, and that's recall. And then I go into heal, and then I go into woe. We're going to save woe for a an episode all by itself, just because we feel like in the pointing world, woe is king. Woe, woe is so important, and there's so many different ways of thinking of it and methods of training it. It Honestly, we wouldn't be able to finish this episode if we went into woe. Yeah, tonight. we're going to devote a whole episode to that because I know that there is, I mean, uh, there's three or four main ways that are that woe is taught to these pups, um, and we're going to go over each one of those for y'all. Yeah. So just so you know, we're not going to cover woe on this episode, but that's that's coming soon. So we know, you know, anybody with a versatile dog or pointing dog, they're like, how do I teach my dog woe? I get, we get asked that all the time. That's the first one before these dogs puppies even know recall. It seems like we're getting asked about woe, but. So we're going to focus tonight on, you know, if you can have a dog that comes back to you when you call and you have a dog that will stay close to you when you want it to and you have a dog that can sit when you want it to, it, you know, that that's really what we're talking about is yard work and basic obedience. And then you're, you're going to see that these methods, it's the same thing 
on every single one of them, just the command is different. And so you can take this method and apply it to whatever else, whatever parlor trick you want to teach these dogs and impress your friends. You know, it's everybody has that dog. It's like, oh, my dog will go get a beer out of the fridge and open it for me or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And it's the same exact method. So to get into that method, it's short sessions, and it is baby steps. Baby steps, baby steps. Think of the end result and break it down into those steps that we talked about a little bit earlier ago, and you're going to make it to where that dog pays attention, and it's in their intention span, and they can associate with the desired action with the command. Okay, so let's let's go over. You mentioned you do recall first, so let's tell yes. everybody what your what your command is for the recall and then how you go about teaching that. Okay, so to start this out, I verbally use the command that the first step in any command new command is the association it's the introduction and so i will verbally use that command multiple times until the desired result and then it's either good boy or if you're using a clicker that's when you click okay and so for instance for recall you know I've, I think I mentioned it last week is I use the hallway with the sock. I throw it down the hallway. The doors are closed. There's only one way for that dog to come back, and that's back to me. I will use that dog's natural actions to where it can only come back to me. When it's already coming back to me, I'll start using here, 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 and I will use it all the way back to me until it touches its nose to my palm. And at that time, when I was using a clicker, I would click and then piece of kibble or treat. If you're not using a clicker, you can use good boy or good girl or whatever. And give some praise. Give some praise. At the introductory level, uh, we probably need to step off and talk about positive versus negative reinforcement here. At the introductory level, I use only 110% positive enforcement. Okay? If your dog doesn't know what is being reprimanded for negative reinforcement doesn't do anything okay i i'm not one of those people i don't ever there's a time and place for negative reinforcement and that's when the dog knows what the command is and what's expected of it and then yes you have to you have to win that battle but when you're introducing it everything is positive and everything is fun and so on that recall i'm using the command over and over again you know, here, 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 here. And when they get there, boom, here's a treat. Clicker, treat, or yes. good, good boy, treat. treat, whatever. And I don't use tro- treats. I just use kibble, just basic dog food, right. whatever. So that's how I go about it on the introductory level. And then as we gradually go on, I see that the dog is associating the action with, with the command. Then... I start taking away the verbals. You want to get to where you're not using the verbal more than once. That's the end result, okay? And it's baby steps. So it starts in the hallway with the introduction, and then I moved out in, into the yard, and I had a leash, just a basic five, six, fix, five or six-foot uh, long leash. And I would wait till she got to the end of the leash, and I would say, Lucy, here. And she would come to me and, again, click reward. But at this time, I'm not using the command over and over again. 
I'm using it once and I'm reinforcing it based off that first command. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's talk about this, though. You say you had a leash. Yes. Okay. I'm assuming, and at some point, you're going to reinforce that command. And that's, we, we talked a little bit about positive versus negative reinforcement. But I'm assuming you had the leash on there to at least be able to say, hey, this way, you know, back to you if needed once she knew that command. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So do you want to hit on that? Did you ever extend to get a 30-foot lead, or did you just take her off that? What did you go about doing after that? Like we said, baby steps. So from the hallway to where there's no other way to go but to me, to the yard with a five- to six-foot leash, then once you get a good, consistent, there's the key word, consistent recall on that short lease is when you then can then take the next step to the check cord Mm -hmm. uh, or tether whatever you want to call it 20 25 30 feet whatever you can then step up to that and you're doing the same exact method that you used on the shorter leash with the longer leash and you're using the command and you expect them to follow it if they don't follow it you're not repeating it over and over again you make them come to you because they know that command. At they that know point. you're not at this point. If they don't know that command, you're not moving steps. If they don't accomplish the first step. Right. And we need to mention this. We're talking about just teaching recall. Yes. All right, guys, you're going to want to teach each command separately, right? Yeah, absolutely. So after recall, then, what do you move to next? Well, let me ask this. Were you done talking about recall? Well, I I would like to finish this, the recall. It's basic. There's the key word. (laughs) But just so that people see the method. So you're going from hallway to short leash to the long check cord. Okay, you're holding the check cord. And then you have them dragging the check cord. And then you're doing away with the check cord. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We, I forgot about that step. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most important thing, yes. right? Got to make sure they Absolutely. do it off lead. Yeah. So you're not moving on to another step until you finish the first step. And so the way I look at it is when you first start a command, you're setting these dogs up for success and you give them all the tools in the world to succeed right off the bat. Every step there in, there out is taking a little bit of that safety blanket away from them to where it's more on their actions and their understanding of your expectations. And so if you start out with the leash, you're giving them a little bit more rope to hang themselves with, quote unquote, by extending the check cord. And then you're letting them drag the check cord and then you're doing away with the check cord, at which then I put on the e-collar. And this is what we're talking about. I think we mentioned it last episode again. The e-collar doesn't do a whole lot of good unless the dog knows what the reinforcement is for. And so you build that foundation, and then you can use the e-collar on something that they firmly and you 110% know that that dog understands. You don't throw the e-collar on the dog before it realizes, you know, exactly what that command means and what it has to do to comply. Exactly. 
It's e-collars used for reinforcement, not yeah. teaching. And over time, and guys, this happens inevitably in anybody's recall training. That dog, when you have that 30-foot lead on them, is going to ignore you at some point. And you're going to be able to reinforce that command by giving a little negative reinforcement and saying, hey, come here on that, on that lead. If that dog has had that happen a couple times, and obviously you feel confident that he knows what the word is, but he's just ignoring you and you do that, if the e-collar is put on that dog and a little pressure or stimulation is given, it should be able to associate that. Absolutely. So it's don't get too trigger happy with the e-collar. Don't use it to train. You use it to reinforce. And generally when I in- introduce the e-collar is on the recall. And so when they s- get to the point to where they're dragging the check cord, I have them wearing the e-collar. I don't have it on. I'm not going to use it because I have the check cord for my safety blanket to where I I need a correction. But I have the e-collar there just so they get used to wearing it. Okay, I don't want them to get used to only being corrected with the e-collar because then that's when you end up with an e-collar dependent dog. And you want a dog that listens to you because it knows the command and expectations, not because it only has an e-collar on. It, it ha- it's had enough positive experiences with it that it wants to do that. Right? Absolutely. That's what we want out of all these commands. It, at some point, the end goal is for the dog to happily comply with the command. Yes. There's a difference in the dogs that do stuff because they have to and dogs that do stuff because they want to. And you can see it. You can see in the demeanor. Um, and, you know, you can, especially after force fetch with some of these dogs, you can see that. Uh, but definitely you want to create that positive, um, I guess, rapport that you would have with one another to where they want to work for you. Yes, exactly. That that lone duck saying, the unspoken bond. Shout out, lone duck. Lone duck. Appreciate it. Uh, so but so you're building this foundation you can't reinforce something that the dog doesn't understand and i know it feels like okay you guys have said it we're harping on it but in all seriousness this isn't just recall training as we just said this applies to everything and i'm only using recall as an example because you have to have the building blocks to train these dogs on And the perfect example is, have you ever been in the field with somebody that uses 20 different commands within two minutes? Yeah, you know, that's like, Bubba, here, come. You know, sit, sit, whoa, whoa. here, heal, here, whistle. You know, and then you're like, goodness gracious, what is going on? Yeah, the people don't understand what's going on, let alone the dog. And so... When you concentrate on each individual block, you're building that foundation. I guess we could have included foundation in the keyword that's going to annoy the hell out of people today. So we got consistent, (laughs) basic, foundation, association. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Holler. (laughs) But uh, so, yeah, it's end result. Break it down. And so when you get through recall... Me, personally, I'm moving on to heal after recall. Let's hit on that, okay? One thing I want to say is that you'll talk to some people that say, and I think I mentioned this in one of our earlier podcasts, 
you shouldn't teach heel until that dog has developed an independent search in the field. Or you shouldn't teach heel until that dog is independent enough, you know, searching in water, you know. And they're afraid that you forcing that dog or at least saying, hey, you have to comply with the heel command of staying beside me. They're afraid that by doing that, that it will somehow hinder the search. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's all about knowing your dog. Yeah. Knowing whether your dog needs the extra time in the field and needs to develop its search a little more before you teach that. Both of my dogs, it was not going to screw them up. So that's I did the same thing. I think it's an old school saying, you know, guys that have been doing the, the pointing dogs forever. It's you have a couple old timer sayings that you have to decide whether you're going to acknowledge or not as a trainer and a do it yourself trainer, which is, you know, who we're hopefully talking to for the most part. Not only is the heel versus field search and water search and everything an aspect, but also you have the never teach a pointing dog to sit. It's up to you how much stock you want to put into those old-timer sayings. Not to say that they're wrong, not to say that they're right. I actually put a little bit of you know heat into the don't teach a pointing dog to sit to a certain extent. I still teach my dog to sit. I do it after I train woe, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But the heel and the field search is kind of the same thing, okay? It's if you have a dog that is, we call them Velcro dogs, that are always by your side, will not leave your side, you know, you you probably don't need to. A natural healer. A natural healer, yes. (laughs) I wish that was part of the NA test. No kidding. (laughs) No, not really. I'd be bad. That'd be bad on my end. <laughs> F fail. Yeah. So, if you have a Velcro dog, you may not want to jump into heel right off the bat. It, it's knowing about your individual dog because if your dog doesn't want to go out and individually, you know, independently search, you may have a hard time transitioning to the field. And that dog's job, that first and main job for a field dog is to go find birds for you. If it's always stuck by your side, it can't do that. So, But that that is a rare occurrence, honestly, from what I've seen. So just coming from me, I haven't had that issue. I'm going into heel next after recall because my heel leads directly into woe. So I can't go on to teach woe until I have a good steady heel. And the way I teach heel is it's it's the walking heel. It's I take a basic check cord, little leash, five, six foot leash, and it has a loop on one end, and I take the clip and I run it through the loop. So it develops a little slip lead. And there's two pressure points right behind the dog's ears. You put it right up high on the neck, not the base of the neck. Every time the 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 leash, you know, constricts, it hits those pressure points, and the dog wants to comply. I use that to teach heel. Okay, so I'll put the leash at the high up on, behind the ears, and I start walking. And I, again, this is introductory level. They have to know what the command means and the desired result for you to start seeing results. 
you have to start heal, 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 heal. And as when they start complying and getting close to you and walking it heal, that's when you're clicking, good boy. Obviously, you're not going to stop every two feet to stop and give a treat. So, you, you know, you just encourage the current behavior. And then when you go however far you feel like is necessary, 15, 20 yards, you can stop and give them a treat. Right. So do you do any – I know a lot of people will do figure-eight drills or square drills, meaning, you know, I'm walking in a figure-eight pattern or I'm walking in a four-by-four four or an eight-by-eight eight square. Um, do you do anything like that when you're teaching obedience or Eventually. the healing portion? Eventually, at the end. I don't do it right now. Right now, we're still at the introductory level. And yeah. those baby steps we talked about, I am going in a straight line. Okay, I want that dog to know what I want out of that command before I move into extending the leash and then a check cord and then dragging the leash behind them. And then really when they get into that is when I get into figure eights and going through stakes or corners or whatever. And let's talk about this real quick. We didn't we didn't hit on time periods or duration as far as days or weeks that we're training these these certain commands let's talk about that i'm going to let you i'm going to leave this as an open-ended question but nick do you set a certain time period for teaching one of these commands no all right tell us why every dog's different right and and let's let's elaborate on that a little bit the the bottom line is is that some of these dogs you can teach them to do this in a matter of two to three days, you know, yeah. but I would advise you. So I can tell you scout my first dog. I could, I taught him to heal and literally in about a day and a half, it was like three sessions, you know, morning, evening, then the next morning after that, the dog was healing, but you want to, at that point, move on to the next step in the healing process and, and introducing new things to him, a new environment, get the dog out there. What he just said was the healing process. He didn't say move on to the next command because he did it right a couple times. Right. So that's one thing. I Just elaborate on that for us a little bit. So you, I think we already said it, is you want a firm, consistent understanding of these commands. And just because the dog does it a couple times, prime example is tonight where we had our NAVDA, Thursday night water training. Uh, young kid, great kid, Walker. Shout out. He uh, he came up to me and was like, hey, Nick, how do I teach, you know, obedience, cooperation, stuff like that. I'm like, what are you working on? He said, heal. I'm like, okay, so he's got recall down 100%. Well, not, not 100%. Okay. You don't move on to heal until you're done 100% with recall. And you have to finish each individual step but before moving on to the next one so we went back and taught you know we were going on recall we found where the disconnect was with with his young dog rue on the recall and he wasn't far off i mean he's close he you know he's close to 100 percent, but he's not right there before you move on to the next step you need to make sure that that first step is completed or else you're going to leave holes in that training 
And that's where the consistency comes in. You want to know when you give that command, that dog knows exactly what you want to do, and he obeys you. And so with each individual command is the process, and the heel process, you know, like I was just talking about, I go in a straight line, heel, 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 heel. And then when I start getting that, I loosen up on the leash a little bit. And then I start adding a little slow turns, not sharp turns, not yeah. figure eights, not backtracking, any of that stuff. But, you know, we're teaching obedience. We're not teaching, you know, we're not going to go on America's Got Talent with these dogs or anything. I just want a, do- a good, reliable heel so that I know that dog will follow me in the field when I need it to. Yeah. So. The the point was, and, and uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse on this, um, but that dog, you're going to be able to see that it recognizes what the command is pretty quick. Yes. But you're not done with no. that command. You move on to different drills, different opportunities for that dog to, I don't want to say fail, but you, you present new challenges. Yeah. And Obstacles. Yeah, and it allows you to be able to reinforce that command um, when those new challenges you know, are around. So, um, if your dog does something in two to three days after introducing a new command on it, I'm telling you guys, keep working it, take it to different places, uh, do, do this quite a bit before you should move on because you need to get that fully instilled before you go to the next, the next command. Yeah. So, I mean, exactly. It's back to the baby steps. So straight line, then slowly introducing turns, slowly letting up on that check cord or leash, giving them a little bit more rope to hang themselves with, and then you start letting them drag the leash, and then you start adding more obstacles, more stakes, more trees, what whatever you go around, and you just build up from there. You go at the pace of the dog. You don't go at the pace of what you want. You go at the pace of the dog. And here's the good thing about being a DIY trainer. You've got the time. The dog's got the time. You have not sent a dog off for a three-month finished dog program. You go at the pace of the dog, guys, and that's what's so great about what we're promoting and what we believe in, okay? We want to make sure that we're catering to exactly what that dog needs, so just pay attention to it. If it takes a little longer to get through some of this stuff, that's fine. I guarantee you there's going to be something that that dog flies through. Don't worry about Bubba down the street. Oh, my dog learned this in two days. What's taking you so long? Yeah, well, then, you know, when it gets to something, you know, really important or more important, not to say that heel isn't necessarily important, you know, your dog might fly through it and show that dog up. Don't care about what, you know, Bubba down the street did with his dog or claimed to do with his dog. Go at the pace of your dog because you're setting it up for success in the long run. You're going to be the one hunting about it. Who cares what Bubba down the street says? Yeah. So anything else you want to add with heel? No, it's just go slow because heel is, it's underrated. It's, you know, for practicality, do you want to touch on practicality of heel? You know, a lot of people, I don't think that they're like, oh, heel, it's not that big a deal. It can save your dog in a long hunt. Yes. So there are instances when we were in North Dakota last year, I can think of two off the top of my head. One, we showed up to a place and we didn't obviously we're in North Dakota, we're from Tennessee. We don't know exactly where we're at, right? <laughs> so 
Everything looks the same. Yeah, we get up there, and we were told that this area was going to be like a stellar spot to to get some uh, huns. And, man, it was like a just clear-cut, well, I shouldn't, it wasn't, it was not a clear-cut, it was like a barren wasteland. Yeah, a barren field when we got there, and I'm going, all right, um, we'll put the dogs out, maybe the good spots over that little rise right there, so let's get the dogs out, let's go over there. Well, North Dakota, a little rise that's a little bit over there is a pretty damn far (laughs) distance, (laughs) so, so we get the dogs out, and, um, we were able to conserve a little bit of their energy for us to heal over to this portion of the land, look over the rise and say, well, nope, over the rise is barren wasteland as well. So we're at the wrong spot. And secondly, jump shooting ducks. And this is a common example. A lot of people give, but I mean, it is, it has came in, um, in handy for doing that. You can, uh, you know, keep your dog near you, and uh, we'll get into sit, you know, um, later. Uh, but basically, make them stay in one, heal to one spot, make them stay in one spot, and then shoot, retrieve the ducks. You know, yeah. It's it's imperative for reserving your dog's energy and keeping him out of harm's way in certain situations. Uh, if you're going a long distance and you know that okay, this isn't likely cover that we're going to find game. You don't want your dog running and burning precious energy throughout the hunt. You want to heal them, go at your pace, and then when you get to where there might be game, then you can release them. And that's how heal is applicable. It's the same thing in safety situations. You know, I've come out on a couple times where you do a a, a grouse trail and you come out on a road, and you don't want the dog just running crazy on the road. Just heal at your side. You don't have to worry about it. And, you know, it's... When you're in the scenario, once you have a dog that has a good, dependable heel, you're going to be like, okay, all my dogs are going to have good heels from now on. Yep. Uh, you know, we just didn't want to sound like we were belittling hill because it does have a definite time and place in these dogs. For sure. So what's the next big, the next big basic obedience command that you teach, Nick? I mean, recall... And heal and woe, I mean, that's primarily what you use in the field. But like we said, we're going to touch on woe a little bit later. The next one that you got to talk about is sit because, A, not everybody's a pointing dog trainer. Not everybody's a versatile dog trainer. Sit has a time and place in the retriever world, especially especially with place training and, you know, getting used the dog used to hunting in a blind. But there's there's another way to look at sit from the pointing dog and versatile dog perspective that we already touched on slightly was you don't teach a pointing dog to sit. That's old school thinking. I think it's outdated. Uh, you teach your dog to sit right off the bat. I teach my dog to sit after I teach woe. And just to give you a quick, we don't want to harp on this too much longer, uh, but the the thought behind this is if you teach a pointing dog to sit and it's your go-to command on these pointing dogs that every time it gets confused and it's not associating with a new command or new training, its natural desire is going to be to sit. And so if you correct it in the field with a woe or you know, f- forbid that they sit on point or anything, 
you might have a little bit of trouble keeping that dog standing up on woe. I mean, that that's where where the saying comes from. Right. So it's it's up to you. You decide. It's I, I don't think it's an issue as long as you don't make it your go to correction for the dog. Yeah. If the dog's in the trash, if your dog's <laughs> jumping on people, you're not going, you know, Fifi, sit. Fifi, yeah. sit. You know, as long as you keep it as an actual obedience correction and situational correction, I don't see it being a problem. But that's a lot the of biggest point, yeah. man. That's the biggest point. We see the biggest issues that we see with dogs that will sit on point or that uh, you know, th- th- well, basically the the biggest issue is is when you can give a sick. You can see when somebody gives a sick command and that dog's like, "Oh crap, I'm in trouble." Yeah, and they just kind of hunker down and and put their butt on the ground. And you're going, "Okay, something's up." Yeah, you know, and that can be tough though too because, uh, you know, I'm not gonna lie with my dog. We struggled with him um, occasionally uh sitting and i had to work through that you know um that's why with cash i went about teaching sit a little differently and when i collar conditioned i made sure that it was it was um done separately because yeah. uh and i don't want to get too far into the weeds but when i collar conditioned scout I collar conditioned him at the same time for all of his basic obedience commands. So you didn't do it at individual commands. Right, and that's how I did it originally. And this is a learning experience, and uh, we've worked through it, and it's fine now. But the thing is, is that, you know, we just went through talking about, you know, we think the right way to do this is going through each command individually, which I did with Scout, but... I I wasn't comfortable because I was new to this game. I wasn't comfortable with collar conditioning my dog, you know, so I left that to the end, right? Yeah. And so uh better with, than just frying them to hell. Yeah, I left that to the end and and did some reading and talked to some people and and um you know, that's that's something that, you know, obviously you get more comfortable with as time goes on and you've had, you've, you've been around doing this a little while. So, um, I think the original thing we started talking about (laughs) was, um, not making sit a correction word. Yes. That is imperative. Yes. Imperative because it is not a correction word. Yeah. It should not be the dog's comfort zone to when it's confused, it knows, okay, well, pressure gets shut off when I sit. And I think that's where a lot of the old timers came into issues by a dog that associated every bit of confusion. I'm just going to sit because I know that this has gotten positive results in the back. Yep. So I, I think that's where it comes from. We've seen it, you know, we've seen it be okay with dogs. And then we've seen it to where some dogs legitimately have an issue on woe. And that's why I personally... I'm going to teach my dog to sit. I'm just going to do it after woe because you know what? It takes it out of the equation for me. My dogs know how to sit, but I'm not going to have the issue on woe. And they know that e-collar response on a woe issue is not to, hey, stimulation, sit down. It's, hey, I'm moving my feet. I'm going to lock up and not move. Now, 
for you retriever guys out there, there's no need for you to even care about that because your dog's not going to point unless, you know, you have the one of those pointing labs. <laughs> uh, we don't see too many of those, but... I have actually never seen a pointing lab, <laughs> but I think it would be cool. You know, right. you get mixed opinions on those things, yeah, too. People absolutely. say that that's a flaw, you know. There's that haters and lovers about yeah. everything out I there. I think it would be pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it's like best of both worlds. But, you know, if you're a retriever guy and you don't have to worry about woe or pointing or anything like that, teach your dog to sit. I mean, it's going to make your life easier for place and in the blind and everything. Get going on it. So tell us about how you teach a dog to sit. Same thing as everything else, baby. It's just introductory sit, sit, sit while you're slowly lifting up on the chin and pushing down on the butt. The dog sits, click, reward. You just repetition, repetition, repetition. And, you know, it doesn't take it doesn't take two nights to teach a dog to sit. It really doesn't. That doesn't mean that you get the puppy home and you're like, hey, sit, and then slap it on its butt. <laughs> it's just, you don't you don't need that. It's just, you know, you want the dog to enjoy sitting. I enjoy sitting. I don't know about you, but, you know, I've never been slapped for not wanting to sit, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, um, is there anything else, you know, at, should we talk about crate training a little bit? I mean, is that what you'd consider obedience? Yeah, I mean, I think that was pretty much last week. You know, crate training, again, it's not that we're belittling this stuff. Like, I know we're kind of rushing through this. Like, I don't want you guys to think that we're belittling it at all because it is very important uh, for, for an enjoyable dog. But like I said earlier, it's the method, okay? The only thing changing on this stuff is the command and the result. But the same practicality that you use for teaching this stuff stays the same. So if you want to, you know, if you're going back to crate training, it's the same thing. In the introductory phase, phase you're just crate, you know, crate, kennel, whatever your command yeah, maybe is. Maybe I should have said kennel. Like, yeah. is that, I, that, I use kennel for the command. command. It's just yeah. kennel, 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 kennel. And as soon as she crosses that threshold, click, here's a kibble. Okay, good boy, here's a kibble. Whatever. And then, you know, you build up from there, just slow baby steps. The longer it stays in there, then you use release command to get them out of the kennel. And, you know, the dog is going to learn real quick, associated the the uh, command with the result, and they're going to run into that kennel for that piece of kibble, and then you have a crate-trained dog. And um, another thing before we end this, I want to talk about just command selection in general. Um, no and woe, yep. you know, that's something in that's our the world. That's common one. Yeah, that, that people talk about um, correction terms. You know, you, you use the eh-eh, the, the famous <laughs> eh-eh. And I'll use, I actually use that now, uh, but I, I used wrong for a pretty long time. And and that always, everyone's yeah. like, what the heck? Are you telling yeah. your dog wrong? So what Austin's getting at is just like we touched on the names, you don't want a name or a command to sound very similar to a command. It's not a big deal when you're giving the dog a command 10 feet away. It is a big com- deal when you're trying to give the command, you know, 100 yards away. And the way that your voice projects and the command projects – uh, the sound of no and woe is very similar. And so 
We just try and take that out. Just be cognizant of what your command selection is. We don't use no because it's very close to woe, and I just use eh, eh, and that catches their attention. They know what it means. Austin was using wrong for the longest time. It was, you know, he would sit down his dogs and explain what they did wrong and made sure they understood the repercussions of the, of the, you know, mistakes they made. And they never messed up again. And they never messed up again. You know, they, they would have a nice heart-to-heart. But it's just, just like the names, think big picture. And, you know, if it's something similar to to what you're going to be yelling at your dog in the field, maybe go another way. You can use these dogs' commands for anything. My brother used, you know, the crate training deal for his little black pug, three-legged black pug. So to kennel, he used bat cave. <laughs> go to your bat cave. You know, it's you can use whatever the heck you want because these dogs don't have a dictionary. They don't know what these words actually mean. It's, again, association. They associate the command or the action with the command. So that's that's what you're going for. Right. So a couple things that I want to mention briefly, and this is where I um, differed from Nick a little bit in doing the obedience training. Uh, I, I also teach my dogs the down command uh, early on. And it's very similar to what we were talking about with how to teach sit. You know, you apply a little bit of pressure down, down, down until they lay down and then um, uh, basically give them that good boy or the cue um, that allows them to know that they did the right thing. And then you just build on that, you know, and uh, I, I teach down. So the other thing that I do is with the recall, I overlay a whistle. And I do just three hits on a whistle, and that's after my dog has um, understood and complied with the, uh, I use here is the recall command. After he has complied with that, I will overlay it with a here, three hits on a whistle, like immediately after saying here. And then at a certain point, I will then take out the here altogether and then hit the three whistles and, and get the result. Once I feel that that dog has both of those recall commands down, the here and the three hits on the whistle, I'll then test the dog by saying here without the whistle, making sure he complies, and then, you know, at various times hitting the whistle three times, making sure he complies. So that's what I'll do um, with that. And really, for the most part, everything else is is similar um, on all this. So, and, and that is before I also do collar conditioning for that recall command. So once once that it's, dog, it's just another step. Yeah, just, just like another step. Baby the, steps. Yeah, at the end of at the end of the here, um, you know, uh, where where the dog is um, not on the lead anymore, but he's out. And um, at the end of that, where you can say here and get him to come back, you just start overlaying the yeah. whistle and then introducing the collar. So stimulation. Just another step. Another thing we probably forgot to mention because we're just fantastic at this hosting gig. You know, our inexperience mixed with a little bourbon results in this. We probably should have mentioned at first, with along with the short sessions, a 100% controlled environment yep. when training these dogs. Okay? That doesn't mean that you have to train, you know, 
in, in a closed off garage. But when you're teaching these dogs, you need to set these dogs up for success and you need to have a controlled environment to where there's no distractions. There's not, you know, crying babies. There's no uh, running cars. There's there's none of that. It's you're you have control over the environment and you know what to expect and you can correct the dog once these dogs know, you know, the command and the reinforcement and the e-collar and, and whatever you're, you decide to go down, then, you know, maybe take them out to a park, dog park, whatever, get some distractions, nap to training groups, other training groups, whatever, get some distractions in there and work that in there. But, you know, we forgot to mention that. And I think you can, you know, thank Chattanooga whiskey for that. <laughs> for sure. Um, with the e-collar guys, briefly, we're probably going to do a whole podcast on e-collar stuff at some point. But uh, when you're first introducing the e-collar to the dog, absolutely make sure that you do not use too much stimulation. I always start out very slow and then work it up to where I just get a head turn. And then once I see that that dog gives a little head turn, that there's an acknowledgement, I, I say, okay, that dog knows that there's some type of stimulation that's applied. He can feel it. That's my minimum threshold there. That's the acknowledgement. You know, you're not sitting out here trying to roast a dog. Do not do that. If you don't feel comfortable doing it, you feel free to talk to anybody that's ever done this and or professional or whatever, if you want to, but I'm telling you, if you do it slow enough, you can actually do this yourself and see that the dog associates it uh, correctly. Absolutely. That's, that's a good point. And I have some good news. Is this the end of it? People can stop listening to us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, we appreciate if you held on to this, this long for the first few episodes and hearing us out next week, we actually do have our first interview. Okay. I think it's a good one. It's a great one to start off with. We are uh, we're trying to make a point right now to only do interviews in person because we're trying to keep the sound quality up to par. We don't, you know, we're trying to figure out the phone interviews to where we can keep the sound quality up to standard. But uh, so next week there's going to be a lot less Nick and Austin and a, a little bit more grouse experienced hunter. So you know if you if you've been sitting here like the whole time, damn, I wish these guys would shut up. Well, next week you get your chance. And uh thank God. Thank God. I know it. Uh but yeah, I appreciate it. You know, this basic obedience. Again, keyword is basic. You know, it's not the most exciting topic, but it is important. You know, we may not have done it justice, but hopefully you got something out of it. You can say, you know, if you didn't like it or had better suggestions holler at us let us know instagram facebook gun dog it yourself share it follow us rate it maybe not after this episode but next episode <laughs> rate it after that one but uh yeah appreciate you guys giving us a chance and there's uh there's more better coming just we're stick with the good us. stuff now yeah yeah we're about to really <laughs> get going on the on the the hunting stuff we hunting season's right around the corner we have some experienced guys coming on hopefully we're gonna have a a, a vet coming on to talk to us before the uh, season hits up make sure you your your first aid kit and everything's up to par and 
Yeah, we have a lot of good stuff coming your way. Yeah, we're going to... One episode that I'm pretty excited about is we, we're going to do a do-it-yourself uh, out-of-state hunting type episode so that people can understand how to get these trips put together. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about that uh, here in the... in. I don't know how many weeks it'll be, but it'll be it'll be soon enough that it's relevant for your upcoming season. Hold on to your britches. Yeah. We'll get there. That's right. All right. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.